Hail, hail, the gang's all here. Welcome back to another episode of Honey, Honey I'm Home. This time we get to learn about what the heck a jeweler's apprentice is with Tori. Yeah, so I have absolutely no idea what a jeweler's apprentice is. Sounds very like medieval Castle Daisy. Absolutely. Um, why we don't have more apprenticeships in this country is a little surprising and confusing, but you know, what other industries out there have them? I feel like this is the only one I could think of. Yeah, is the U.S. the only place that doesn't really do apprenticeships? Maybe they do apprenticeships and we're just ignorant? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that would not surprise me. But what exactly does a jeweler even do? I mean, in my head, I see Snow White and the Seven Dwarves where they're holding, you know, these giant diamonds and they're looking at them with these little, like, like little mini binocular type things. Like, I don't even know what those would even be. <laughs> Monocles? I feel like Tori's definitely going to know the name for that because I see it very clearly <laughs> in my head, but I don't have a better word for it either. <laughs> also, Snow White is from the 40s. Do we not have more advanced technology now? Like, I don't know. <laughs> what, I, I, what type of role does technology play? I really have absolutely no idea. And then how do you graduate from jeweler's apprentice to jeweler? And is there a benefit to that? Or is it actually better to stay an apprentice? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, I really have no idea. I don't even know what a jeweler does exactly. I mean, the, the idea is obviously they do something with jewelry and I would assume make jewelry, but do, do you need to like do an actual apprenticeship for that? Do you like, I don't know. I don't either. So let's find out with Tori. <laughs> Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Awesome. Welcome. Yeah, welcome to Honey, I'm Home. We're excited to learn more about, you know, your you and your career. <laughs> we made some predictions before this in a little snippet about kind of what we think you do. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if we're anywhere near on target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about, like, your job like what what are you what do you do what's your title um, my title as of right now is I'm an apprentice jeweler and apprentice jewelers in the shop handle the administrative and clerical tasks and um, they're also in charge of polishing the jewelry that comes in so part of like the clerical tasks that come in is that you answer the phone um, print off any paperwork you deal with um, with store associates coming back and asking questions and okay. directing it to like, if a, if a store associate comes back and says, Hey, I need a head and set for a one carat stone and we need a platinum head. Um, what's the time frame on this? Take it to a jeweler based on the, um, on the pecking order of the shop and, uh, and like skill set and, they'll give like a time frame, whether it be the same day or a few days out, depending on how soon we can get the supplies from our vendors sh okay. uh, shipped in. And so when you say the head, what, what exactly does that mean? So a head and set, whenever you're looking at a ring, the head is referred to um, for the center stone. It is what holds, like if you have a solitaire stone, like a, a okay. like a solitaire engagement ring, the head is what holds that big center stone. The into prong. the ring yeah well what about the like if you have like a three stone does it have three heads 
Um, it depend. It would depend on the uh, on the style of the ring. In all honesty, if it said, say that there's like you have the large center stone and then two smaller side stones, you still have the the main head. Um, the others are just like smaller settings that aren't really set up as a head. For the heads, um, some of them have these little uh, prongs or this a little um. It's like it's, it's called a peg. So there's like a some have a peg on the very bottom and there's a hole that's set into the part of the band that you put the head, the peg of the head into. And then you saw then you add solder to the bottom and that holds the head in place. Some of them don't have pegs. They have specific settings where the band pinches into like the sides of the um, of the head that are holding the stone and it gets soldered into place. Cool. Huh. I feel like it would be really hard for me to like if I were to have like a three stone ring to not want to like call it fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> like <it's>... Or Serby. <laughs> yeah. Have like a nice little like Hydra reference in there. <laughs> we I have seen um some custom jewelry that guests want created. Um we had this one guest who wanted their ring, they had a set of rings they wanted the heads of the ring that had the stones in it they wanted it removed from the ring and turned into a pendant okay and um we gave them ample warning that would look really weird just like literally (laughs) soldering these heads onto like this curving pendant shape for them to wear and they still wanted it instead of just like actually creating (laughs) the the pendant shape for the ring for the for the um, for the stones that would look really nice and it looked so weird and so awkward, but the guest was really happy. So that's what matters in the end is that the guest is happy. All that's right. right. <laughs> oh, that would be frustrating though, because you guys are the experts. Like you guys are the ones working with the jewelry. You know how things are going to, you know, work and not work. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah I would... Is it more common for you to have people come in and say, hi, I'm looking to do X, Y, Z thing. How do you suggest I do it? Or have people come in and say, I want this and this is only this. There's there's kind of both. Um, you have a wide variety of customers who will come in that the sales associates deal with and the sale associates sales associates will um will tell us what the guest wants and we will advise the sales associate like, hey, this is what we suggest. Uh, we advise against this. We think like this would look better, but we can do this, but it's um it will turn out like this. Or um, a really good example is whenever a guest comes in and they have a ring that is say a size seven, or they mm-hmm. want to buy a ring that's a size seven, um, standard, it's in standard size right out of the case. And they want it sized down to say like a four and a half or a four. That is a very drastic size change for any piece of jewelry. And we always advise that the guest orders it to size from from our suppliers that we have because our our suppliers can do that Mm -hmm. because what that does is as the ring, um, the way how it works is that you remove a section of metal according to how much metal needs to be removed for the ring to be sized down to the correct size that the guest is wanting. Typically the range is one size up or one size down, maybe a size and a half, like about a size and a half still works pretty good without the um, integrity of the ring being compromised. When you okay. go down by such drastic sizes, 
what it does is that as the metal gets pulled in, the metal becomes stretched. So the prongs that are holding those stones and become loose and the stones um, are more apt to fall out. So the further size down that a ring goes, the wider those gaps of the prongs mm. holding the stones in place become. And the guest will most likely have trouble with their stones not wanting to stay in place and falling out for the rest of the time that they own that ring. Oh, that is really good to know. Yeah, I know I wouldn't go in and be like, oh, of course, that's why they're telling me they can't do it. I probably would have gotten snotty and been like, they just don't want to do it. (laughs) And it really helps to know, like, the reasoning behind, like, you don't want anyone to lose their priceless heirloom or anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you could have a hand-me-down from, from, like, your grandmother or your great-grandmother that's been in your family for generations, and something drastic could happen to it. And you, um, the best thing to do is either have the same ring cast, make a casting of that ring to... Uh, replicate that in the size that you that you need or just like have the have the stones transferred into a different ring Hmm. cool interesting yeah that is definitely good to know um you know because there are a lot of people out there like me like i love a good vintage ring and so you know i mean if you ever want to like buy something from like an estate sale or something and it doesn't fit it's it's good to know like you gotta you gotta like take that into consideration there's only a short little window of what you can Um, yeah like something that's really handy to know um is that like where where i work we are able to replicate um we do have the ability to like replicate the style of that ring and have it recast in the in a proper size it goes through um through a few stages where like they'll well, they'll like take the ring in they they look at all the designs and everything and they scan it to size and then they will cast it. That's part of like the custom design thing. Like a lot of people come in wanting something custom. They have an idea set in and then it gets created. A really nice one that we had is that this guest had like a concept for some cufflinks that they wanted for an upcoming wedding. And what they were is that it was like these frog cufflinks and they had the image all drawn out, which was very handy for us. Frog? Yeah, it was frog. <laughs> it was a frog. So it had like, it showed like the four feet and it had um, diamonds for eyes and it had little green emeralds on the toe pads. And it looked like it was kind of like climbing up um, as if, if you were looking from, from like a window and you looked at the belly of a frog, it looked like it was climbing up and it was like mid climb. I love it. It was <laughs> the drawing. We were like really questionable at like how it would turn out, but it turned out looking absolutely fantastic. It's one of those things where the concept you think, oh, that's going to look gaudy and weird. <laughs> then it comes out looking amazing and like the guests definitely got their um got their vision fully realized and they were very happy i just i would really love to hear the story behind why they were like you know what would make really good sense for this wedding frogs they were probably <laughs> frog researchers duh <laughs> obviously like who knows everybody has reasons behind something i've seen i've seen some really weird engravings come in that guests have wanted <laughs> All right, so you guys can do custom creations. You guys can do engravings. You guys can do resizing of rings. What else do you, as a jeweler apprentice, get to do? Um, so whenever you come in as an apprentice in the shop, uh, no experience is required starting as an apprentice. Um, you can apply online. They say what they're looking for, but they also stipulate that like no experience is required at all because you learn on the job. 
What about education? Do you have to have a GED or a high school diploma? Um, I, you don't need to have like a college degree or anything. A GED or like a high school diploma probably helps. But as far as I know, um, I think it's required, but I'm not 100% certain because it's been so long since I've applied. Sure. And gotten the know. job. That's pretty cool though for people who didn't finish. Yeah, but yeah, I'd um another... I'd be I'd be willing to bet that it probably does require at least a high school education at minimum. Okay. Yeah, um since that good. is the standard for like a lot of jobs. It's not all, but like for a lot of them. And with this industry, they do want at least some level. Cool. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Well, so how long have you been an apprentice? And then also apprentice kind of implies that you're working towards like would you be a master jeweler or what does that trajectory look like so um as an apprentice what they've been learning what i've been learning like on the job is i've learned how to size up and down plain wedding bands um at this point i know how to solder um, a variety of different necklaces and um, i've learned how to fix um how to fix like some bracelet clasps and some, how to fix a few, a few minor things on earrings, but not a whole lot. I know how to uh, restring a variety of different types of pearl necklaces. There's some I'm not sure that I haven't seen, but I could probably figure out just by a quick assessment. Oh, is there, I would never have thought that there would be differences. Oh, there's a, there's a lot of differences. A lot of it comes down to other than like pearl sides it and pearl size and weight it comes down to the way how the clasps um interlocker with the, with one another and how you feed the the silk thread that holds the the pearls in place through um i yeah. taught yeah. myself how to uh i mean it doesn't sound it sound it might sound impressive but it's really not i taught myself how <laughs> to fix pearl bracelets that are on um elastic Okay. Well, it's okay. You can brag. We're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, definitely brag. No, it, it was just something like, um, just a lot of it is like, look, is like, like if you don't know how to do something, if somebody else might not know how to do something, you can actually uh, figure it out either by looking at it or watching some videos on you on YouTube on how to do some stuff. And I figured out some stuff by YouTube or by, um, by just like watching them and observing my other coworkers or just by looking at the piece of jewelry and critically thinking out, the, like taking the knowledge that I have, that I have gained, that I've that I've learned through doing various other things, and figuring stuff out on how to do um, bits and pieces. Yeah, and so like, is one of the things that you have to consider like how it lays, like if it's a necklace, like how it lays on like, you know, the person's clavicle. Like I don't know. <laughs> a lot of it depends on how the pearls are strung themselves. Like for a typical pearl necklace. Um, a lot of them are standard of like 18, of, of like 18 to 19 inches. So, um, for a lot of pearl necklaces, they need to be resting flat. You don't want them to leave them hanging because over time, um, the, the knots and the pearls will tighten from the weight of the pearls and it will stretch it out. So the pearls will be sliding in between the knots that are holding them in place. So you want to lay the pearls flat, um, while they're not being worn to help keep up the integrity of your pearl necklace. So that way you don't have to spend the money to get them restrung. Cool. I would have never considered that. I would not have either. Do you think that, or have you experienced the knowledge in your field kind of being shared openly? Like, is it a very, um, 
helpful environment to learn these things in? Or is it kind of like knowledge is gatekept and you have to do a lot of research on your own in order to learn what you need to do? The shop that I work in, the knowledge is very open. Um, it's not necessarily gatekept, but you have to um, want to learn. And if as long as you like want to learn and are willing to be taught, um, then the jewelers will like teach you how to do stuff. They might pull you aside and like say, hey, this is how you do this. Um, I had asked recently, I was having some trouble with a, uh, with a necklace that came in that I was having some trouble with. And I asked them like, um, I'm having issue. I'm having a trouble. I'm having some trouble trying to repair this properly. Um, how, how do you advise, um, that this be fixed to minimize this, this showing to make it look more like a complete necklace? Hmm. And they said, okay, well, you clip this off, you do this, and then you lay them like this, so that way it looks like they're almost fully braided together, and it minimizes the solder spots. I was like, okay, cool, sweet. Okay, cool. So I think that sounds really healthy. Like, you can kind of get what you need when you need it. Yes, yeah. but, like, that also comes into you need to... Um, and the, when it comes to, like, our the way how we work in the shop, in our shop, um, as long as you do your job you're you're doing great and um as long and everybody will like work together but then if um if someone's trying to show you how to do something and you're not willing to and like we see that you're not like really wanting to listen to what that person is saying or you're not um willing to attempt to try and help out to at least learn then you only get so many chances to show that you want to learn and that you are going to take these chances to take the opportunities that we're trying to give you to do something. Otherwise we're going to stop teaching you and not bother with you and move on to the next person who comes in and focus on their learning. If they're showing an interest that they want to continue to grow and potentially make this a profession. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds kind of like it's up to y'all as a team's discretion and not necessarily like company policy. And there is company policy in place, but at the same time, um, it's the company also sees like the growth that a person is doing based on the jobs that they do. So you do have to like take show that you are learning that you are doing the work. Um, they base it off of, as far as the company goes, they base it off of the off of a billing. There's like a goal that um, that you are expect that you're um, expected to sort of try and meet, and then there's like a stretch goal that's further beyond that too. That's like a that's like if you go beyond your original goal, like and you're trying to stretch towards another goal to show that like yeah, I'm trying to further myself more. I'm trying to get to this next level. I'm pushing myself. And uh, I really want to to move up. And these are like, and you can see like the individual jobs that a person has done that is taken by uh, the apprentices who code out the jobs. So what is an example of these goals? Like what type of goals are they? Well, um, for an apprentice, you're the stretch, like the goal is to reach uh, $1,000 in jobs per Hold each on. week. Okay. And wow. the stretch goal for that would be around like 1,500. Um, so how do you get assigned the different jobs? You just like, are they up for grabs or? This, not that they're necessarily up for grabs, but like um, whenever I started, 
um, in 2018. I was in the shop for about three months, for about three months. And then my boss um, said like, hey, we need like these jobs aren't going out fast enough. We're going to move you back to the polish and move this one person over here to clerical where you're at. Are you fine with that? I'm like, yeah, I can I can get I can get us caught up. Um, at that point, um, I had gotten um, pretty used to how to what to, what I needed to look for when the jewelry I had trained my eyes to look for scratches so I was able to minimize um, jewelry that came back that needed to be repolished or that may have had still had dirty stones after the uh, after cleaning from polish to get the polishing rooms out from under the stones and make them look like they almost came out of the case Ooh, pretty so I need good eyesight for this job yeah so like i mean it's like you don't have to have like the best eyesight but like you do need to like figure out how to train your eyesight to see where the scratches are how to like find the light in the metal to look for um for any leftover scratches that are might be on the ring from uh, from being from being worked on at the bench or being so left left good. behind from like the rough polishing wheels so you need like a really good attention to detail. Yes. Um, for my personal, um, my personal standard is that um, when it comes to pearls, like if it doesn't, if I'm restringing a pearl necklace, my standard is like, if it doesn't look like it could have potentially come straight out of the case from the factory, it does not go out. Oh, yeah. I love that. Nice attention to quality. Yeah. So I very, so I look at, I check each pearl right after I do it, make sure that there's not, that there's very, very, very little wiggle room between the pearls. Like I try to get none at all if I can, but there is just like some, if it's just like the very tiniest, like almost not even noted, hardly noticeable movement between the pearls, then I was like, okay, that's, that looks okay. But I try to make sure that the next one is like super tight. And like snug up against the other knot behind it so that way it doesn't move at all. Oh. It sounds like you've definitely been focusing on pearls a lot lately. What are some of your other favorite projects or just duties that you get to do? Well, for me, pearls are really, I find pearls really relaxing. They take a little while, a bit of time, but it's a pretty repetitive cycle and something that you can just kind of zone out and just like focus on. And it's really nice. Um, as far as like other stuff that I really like to do, I do like doing, I really enjoy doing chain solderings and sizing, sizing down plain bands are a lot of fun. Um, oh, the ones that are like, I think the word is pave where they have the little like diamonds like around. Yeah. Pave, pave settings. Uh, I don't know of many jewelers that enjoy working on pave set rings. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um, it has to do because there's so many little prongs and so, and they're all shared that if uh, one stone is loose and a lot of other ones are, and since they are so tiny, the tinier the stone, the it seems like it's a little bit more, it's harder to kind of like tighten into place. Um, even under like a scope, if your scope doesn't like zoom in quite far enough to really see how the tiny, the really tiny prongs. So you'll need to go to like, um, like almost a microscope to look under it and shift the settings so that way you can um, vary the, so you can properly move the prongs into place and make sure that everything is set. Mm. So do you think like fast forward, you know, however many years, like a few decades, because Pave is so big right now, do you think that people who have like the Pave rings are going to start having issues with like the stones falling out? 
even now currently um some it's still that kind of goes back to like the sizing up and down like they as long as they're not like really rough on their with their rings the pave set should hold up but a guest will still need to come in and have their prongs re-tipped as the prongs wear down over time to keep up the integrity of the ring and to keep those stones in place um just yesterday uh steve and i or my <laughs> yeah steve and i my fiance we were um visiting a relative of his and they asked me to take a look at their jewelry and i um was looking at their rings and i had noticed that like one of their um, original bands from their wedding had some prongs on the outside where the tops of them were really flat if you happen to have like a ring and you look if you have like a larger stone on your ring and you look at like the top of the prongs they're nice and rounded and they're holding the stone in place you don't need to worry about that but if they're like looking really flat on top and they're really thin and skinny then your prongs are going to need to have like some um are going to need it should definitely be taken and have some love shown into them and uh have them have a little bit of metal put on top and have oh. the prongs kind of fixed up a little bit so that way it will last even longer cool interesting do you know and just me knowing you i know you're super into knowing the full story about things you are very detail oriented do you know if the way that you make jewelry now is similar to the way that you know the royal jewelry would have been made back in the castle days yeah the stuff that still looks good to this day that's still holding up i'm not really too sure about the history of that just yet <laughs> um, i am taking a course i am in the process of taking a a course that talks about the royal jewelry and of course um, you are. <laughs> and how stuff would happen for that <laughs> but um but i don't really know too much about like the history of like how things have changed but as far as like styles have have come into existence um invisible set stones was kind of a game changer became really popular because it almost it's really hard to see like where the prongs are it just looks like they're stones next to stones next to stones next to stones and they're all held in place by tension really yeah that scares me kind of yeah (laughs) there's um there's ways that they're done like i've seen we have some invisible set stones that um they look really they do look really nice but uh sometimes this the ones that we cannot fix properly like if there's an invisible set stone that came out then we tell them like look we understand that you want this fixed but we don't have the tools necessary to do this it needs something very specialized but there's not Mm -hmm. much that we can do past um past this point how often do you come across projects that y'all are not able to do in your shop? Um, it's not, it's often enough to where we do need to make sure that we stick by our guns whenever we say like, we cannot do this. Or if we look at it, something really closely, it's like, we can do this, but we advise against it because of, um, because of this is what will probably happen whether now or in the future depending on what it needs so um that is i know that that's very vague yeah (laughs) but uh (laughs) but like say but like say that um that a guest has these a set of hollow loop earrings that happen to have cracked have one of them has like a crack in it and they want it soldered closed at this time we do not have the proper tools in order to um, solder that without the whole ring potentially melting in half because the metal is so thin because it is hollow 
Um, so until we have like a laser welder, there's not much that we can do. But I think we do, there are shops that we can ship it out to, a select few shops that we can ship it out to that do have a laser welder where they can fix it. But uh, that is also something that is like relatively new within like the last couple of years. So if let's, let's say in that particular example, could you almost like buff it a little bit just to like try and like make the crack a little less noticeable? Honestly, buffing it would make it more noticeable oh. because you're whenever you shine up metal um, after working on it, that's whenever you start to see uh, some of like something that may have been not noticed by like one of the jewelers. Like, for example, if I'm sizing a ring down and I solder it closed with my um, and I solder like the, it closed and I'm finishing it up and I look and I notice that like I had forgotten to hit one side of the ring with my heat. So it has a sizing line. And with the sizing line, you want to make sure that they're in, that they're invisible. You don't want it, you want it to look like nothing was done to it, Seamless. like it hadn't even been sized down at all. Uh, right. So you have to go back in and either burnish the ring, which is moving um, any any remaining solder that might be on the ring over it and filling in the gap, or adding more solder to it and then finishing off the ring by by um, filing it and sanding it down and then polishing it at the bench and making sure that it, that the sizing line is no longer there. Gotcha. And it's also tiny. Like it's just, like, yeah. <laughs> and you don't use the little like scope. I think. Oh, oh yeah. You don't use those a lot. Oh, the eye thing only goes down so far in detail and they're really good for looking at the gems themselves and prongs, but there's not, for a lot of stuff, you do need to have like a scope for the more finer details so that way it zooms in much further than the little magnifying loop, the magnifying jeweler's loop that um, that a lot of sales associates might use. Ah. Even are the sales associates at the store that I work within, um, they use they use uh, magnifying scopes and they have uh, well some of the scopes that they have have like a digital screen to where the guests can see what the store associate is looking at and what and what the associate is pointing out if they notice any issues that like maybe the, they didn't notice but the jeweler did so the jeweler can say hey we noticed this right here interesting okay interesting yeah so i want to switch gears just a little bit and bring you back to something you said earlier you mentioned that you have a fiance did yes mean that you have an engagement ring and if yes. so, oh, I've seen it. <laughs> I to hear about you know the engagement ring process from somebody who's in the industry. Um, well, you know, like as far as engagement rings go, for each person, it's different. Um, there are men who will come into the shop and they can only afford like a silver ring, and that means so much to like the woman that they're engaged to because if that's what they could afford at that time, that becomes a very sentimental piece. And yeah. this, while silver rings are a lot are like are drastically cheaper than like than like your standard gold rings, it still means a lot per person. So every single bit of care that every single ring that comes into our shop, we try and give the equal amount of care to because this is someone's. Um, this ring has sentimental value to somebody. Right, like that is there's a lot that goes into that. That's not specifically like monetary value. Yes. Um, so different guests go into the store with, diff with different expectations of what they want and what they're looking for. 
Um, some couples come in and the lady will pick out the ring that she likes herself or they'll work with the, the sales associates will try and work within a budget that the guests have or, um, or they'll want something custom and some, and like then the customs can range anywhere from like really simple and lovely to ex overly extravagant and crazy. <laughs> what kind of price range does that reflect? Um, the most expensive solitaire diamond ring that I have ever seen physically was a $1,000, or sorry, it was a $100,000 solitaire <laughs> engagement ring. The stone was three carats and it was set in platinum. $100,000 for just one diamond. Yes. And plain band. Um, to give you an example of like how that works <laughs> is that whenever a ring enters the shop, the apprentices look at the value of the ring that is printed on the ticket. So anything that is over $10,000 goes straight to either the, the shop manager or the a jeweler. And yeah, it goes from like manager to age jeweler. So if the manager is not there, it goes straight to the age jeweler. If the age jeweler isn't there and the manager is there, it goes to the manager. Like the manager is the default, of course. And then it goes to the age jeweler. What's an age jeweler? So there are, um, well, if you'd like, I can finish talking about like the engagement ring process and then <laughs> yes, go on please, to the class. Okay. So, um, whenever it comes down to like the ring that my engagement ring personally is that I knew what I wanted out of an engagement ring. So, um, so I talked it over with my fiance and we agreed that, um, that like I, that like I would come up with the concept, but I wouldn't physically see the ring until he was ready to propose. Okay. So I, um, so I looked through the, uh, through like the ring designs that are from one of our vendors and I found the ring setting that I liked the best. And then I chose all the stones. So I customized the ring by picking out the stones and the size of the, of the center stone that I wanted. And then the ring um, settings, the rings and the stones scale up based on the center, on the main center stone of the ring to make, to like accentuate it really nicely. Oh, so, pretty. so my engagement ring is a, um, as a garnet marquee. And it has two <laughs> round opals as the side stone, as like the as like the as like the accent stones, and then white sapphires um, as the smaller accent stones that loop around the uh, oh, the opals. Oh yeah, pretty. And, and I unique. and I chose white sapphires one because like they are a white stone and they're very clear. And any and a lot of people who don't really know what how to differentiate diamonds from sapphires aren't going to know the difference anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice cheaper option um, to have those in and they still look really nice. And if I want to later on, I can just go ahead and replace all those stones with diamonds at any point. Hmm. That's true. I mean, I never really thought about you can always go in and like upgrade if you want. Yeah. Can you touch base real quick on the different shapes of stones and what like can you use like kindergarten language for like what a marquee is? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like whenever you got a, like a slit of a cat's eye, that's basically yeah. a marquee shape where it starts off at a point, it rounds down to the side, then ends at a point. So it's canoe shaped. Okay. Canoe shaped. Um, then you have a pear, which is a, which is teardrop shaped. 
Okay. okay. You have princess cut, which is a square shape. Love and then that. you have your standard emerald shape, which if you, which might be self-explanatory. If you think of like the, if you think of an emerald stone, you think of that rectangular shape with like this, with like the edges kind of cut off. Okay. And then you have baguettes. What? <laughs> yes. The uh, not the bread, <laughs> <laughs> but they are still called baguettes nonetheless. And very, I don't know of many jewelers that really enjoy working with baguette stones because they are a absolute pain to work with and they break easily, but they are these really thin, long rectangular shaped stones. And oh, some of yes, them can yes. be tapered. So you'll have like a, you'll have like a top that is, that's flat. And then you have the two sides that are flat, but they kind of narrow down. And there's a very, there's a flat, ends up with a flat bottom. I, in my head, I see very, a lot of 80s jewelry with these baguettes. They very well might have become popular in the 80s, but there's also, um, there are also stones that, stone shapes that don't go out of style either. And they do look very nice. So I Googled it and it looks a lot like what I thought an emerald cut was. <laughs> yeah. Like if you hear like an emerald, if you think of like, and like the stone emerald itself, an emerald cut pretty much is that exact shape of like your typical emerald that you would envision. So I guess, hmm. Is a baguette just an elongated and less structurally sound emerald cut? Um, it's, A lot of like the, the where like the weaknesses of stones come from for like baguettes and even princess cut stones come within like the, the edges with like those corners of like the stones because those are the weakest point and the thinnest. They are more apt to break and chip. So it can be very frustrating trying to put in the stone into a ring. And you use just a little too much pressure on axe and all of a sudden it snaps. You have to remove that stone and put in a new one and it could continue on until you finally get it. So from like a, the ring wearer perspective, if you have like a piece of jewelry that has like the, the baguette cut in it, are they likely to break while you're, you know, like doing the dishes or like going about your life as, you know, just a person? Um, that's an excellent question. Like as far as it pertains to jewelry care, um, you, anytime that you're like, you're wearing your jewelry and you have like a, say you need to do the dishes or you need to scrub down a countertop with like a mixture of like bleach and water, you want to take off your jewelry because any chemicals that get into the, uh, can get, that can get into the metal affect it. So um, further down the line, um, chemical, like pitting from chemicals that leach into the metal affect being able to have the jewelry repaired at some point if solder's needing to be added and we can't oh, properly oh. does affect being able to actually do stuff yeah. um like like if you're putting you know. lotion on your hands make sure that you just like that you do that before you put your jewelry on and give it like 10 15 minutes before you put that on i've seen so many rings that have that that have like lotion just like packed into them and then mm. it takes a little while to clean it out and it can affect um like how the stones are held in place because the lotion eventually becomes essentially a glue that's holding them in place. And you might not realize it until it comes back from cleaning and Oh, the stone's loose. <gasps> oh, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> wow. Okay. So definitely avoid chemicals on jewelry. I always kind of thought that that was like just people trying to keep it sparkly, but 
Um, there are specific um, chemicals that are that are okay to use with jewelry. Um, you do want to talk to like a sales associate at like um, at one of your local jewelry stores as to like what they use for cleaning their jewelry if it's coming in for an inspection, because they do have specific stuff for cleaning jewelry that is very gentle on the stones, but that also pertains to other stones that you that can't really go into uh, liquid. Um, like for my engagement ring, I have opals in it, so I want to avoid getting that ring wet because opals are um, can take on water, and over time, mm. the opals change color with with water. There are even some examples of opals that have been found um, by miners that have like water still inside them. Interesting. Whoa. Yeah, it's it's really cool. You could probably you can Google that and like find the video of like a of like a of like some water inside of an opal and see like a little bubble of air in there rolling around. Huh. Cool. So you mentioned inspections. Do you guys also do appraisals? Like, does that fall under your job duties? Um, I don't do the appraisals myself personally, um, but there at the store that I work in, once a month there is an appraiser who comes in and appraises customers' jewelry, and they that that have scheduled time with him. So he comes in and he he looks at the jewelry. He'll give it like a quick steam, and he appraises uh, the quality of the stones, the metal, and he can give like a. He can even tell you like where the stone came from, if it's natural or lab created. Ooh, that's cool. always good to know. And even if it's like heated or unheated, he's got like the skills to tell you to um to identify those differences in that that I have no idea how to tell the difference in. <laughs> tell me more about heated versus unheated, because because what what <laughs> yeah okay so um so sapphires are a really good example of heating stones. Um, if you go out and you see like natural unheated stones, they could potentially have a higher quality to heated stones if their clarity, is, if their clarity and color match up. But even then, a lot of them are partially heated to really show off their vibrant natural colors. Like you'll have like a pad paracha, which is like this orangey pink color, this orangish color, oh, and oh, then you've got pad paracha. Pad paracha, yeah, it's. Try, it took me a long time to figure out how to pronounce that. That one's new. I've is never that heard a that. <laughs> type of stone? It is a color of sass, of sapphire. So if you type in pad paracha, like it's this long word, which is spelled P-A-D-P-A-R-A-D-S-C-H-A. I would have messed that up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I remember like trying to read it. It's like pad paradabacha. <laughs> what? That was pretty though. <laughs> Let me see. It's this really lovely, like it's yeah. there's very there's a variety of like tones that can range from like from like a vibrant orange to like this peachy to this peach color. Yeah, it's, it's very that pretty. Millennial pink kind of vibe to it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it almost has it's almost like a morganite in color, but it's it's more of a brighter pink and less um, peachy flesh toned. So you're saying unheated sometimes the color quality is better. It depends. It really depends on the color of the stone, and not necessarily the quality. But like, if the stone quality is there, as far as like um, inclusions within the stone, a natural unheated sapphire could have more quality than a heated sapphire. So, for example, a lot of sapphires, the typical sapphire color that you can think of is that deep blue color, mm -hmm. like um, like the stone from the Titanic movie. Yeah, that color sapphire is what you think of whenever you think of sapphire. That is true. So, 
Um, so to get that color, a lot of stones, like they can become in that natural color, but to get it to that deep blue, a majority of them are heated to receive that equal hue. And oh. the chemical process that happens with that, um, I don't know the full details of this, but I know that there's like a chemical reaction that happens uh, that changes the color to that blue because it fully takes the uh, minerals that are within the stone and exacerbates them until they become that vibrant color. So what you're saying like makes a lot of sense to me but at the same time until you said it I just assumed that stones were the color that they were and they just like <laughs> were found yeah. that color in the wild. Some are and some aren't but that also like the specific stone colors that are found naturally become the standard that a lot of people look for but because there is such a wide range of color within those stones um different people have different ones that they look for like if you were to look up a sapphire a blue sapphire color scale they go from like these light pastel blues um up to like this twilight dark blue like every a lot of people really want like the royal blue mm-hmm. in their yeah. color but i'm very partial to like a peacock colored blue sapphire which is very lovely um and even yeah. then you have sapphires that are called party colored so those are like dual colored stones cool you said they're party colored yeah so if you type so if you type in p-a-r-t-i sapphire it's these very shades of like yellows and greens or like blues and greens or even like purples and blues very attractive stones they're dual toned and a lot of those are natural and you can't get those heated so finding one a lot of them come from australia so a lot of these stones of course they do are very lovely are like very lovely and they're highly sought after but they're also really expensive because of the dual color that they have oh cool yeah, you also are- have color changing stones which will shift in what? certain in other lights a really good example of that is alexandrite ah cool so it changes in certain lighting it changes it can be green or purple very cool can we circle back to something i just remembered that i asked you earlier in the middle of a different thing oh, the, the the jeweler scaling <laughs> yeah what's an a jeweler okay so um for being a jeweler there are like different um there's different ranks that that pertain to the skill of a jeweler an apprentice as for me is like is right now where i'm still learning a lot of the basics i am in i am in line to have my bench test done to be um to be upgraded to C jeweler. So okay. because of like what I do know and like my skills at the bench, I just need to, my thing that I need to work on is work is focus on, um, on my production and getting stuff out through the day. Um, so Wait, there's C jeweler. Oh, oh yes. At the bench. Do you does it, like physically like sit on a bench or is that just like an expression? I sit in a computer chair, but I do have like a jeweler's <laughs> bench that I sit at. So there's, a bench with like these two drawers where like my shavings and filings and scrap will go. And then I scrap out at the end of the day and I have a light and a torch and I, um, and I have like a a variety of different tweezers that I use for like holding the rings or the stones and stuff in place for soldering. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I was just, Oh, not at all. It's, it's good for clarity because you might, you never know where like after this podcast is over, (laughs) this episode (laughs) is over, uh, you might think, Oh snap, I should have asked this question. Um, 
actual bench or is that just a term? <laughs> it's an actual bench. It's um it's just not like a computer table or anything like that, but uh it's Okay, so you're taking your bench exam in a couple of weeks to be a C jeweler. Hopefully. I'm I'm definitely in line. It should it should happen sometime soon. But um but if I pass the bench if I pass the bench test, then I'll be officially be a C jeweler and I'll be get a pay raise from that. Um, and then there's B jeweler, A jeweler, and then double A jeweler. Um, for oh, the store that I work at, the starting pay for an apprentice is fifteen dollars. Okay. When I started in 2018, it was ten dollars an hour, and I didn't see a raise until November 2020 last year. Oh my gosh! And I was uh, I was bumped up to twelve dollars and twelve cents an hour. And okay. Are you saying they start now at fifteen? Yes, it starts now at a minimum of fifteen. Wow. Um, they re- like um, they recently did like a thing where they um, where they went through this system and they changed like how they their pay their minimum pay scale is. So across the the company across the board in the company, it's fifteen dollars minimum, whether it's on like the sales floor side or the repair shop side. Okay. Oh, I love that. So basically, there's like a two dollar minimum difference separating each rank. And it could be higher based on the skill set and tenure of the of, of like where you are in the shop as like a jeweler or an apprentice. Cool. So like what do you think your double A jeweler would make in a hourly or a year? Oh, that's that's hard to say, especially since they're really as far as I know, there is not a cap as to how much a jeweler can earn at the bench. Wow. So, um, as far as like a manager goes, it's six thousand a year salaried starting. Wait, six for a manager. It's uh, sorry, sixty thousand, not six. Okay, I'm, I'm terrible <laughs> with. I'm always really bad with like with like with like going up into actual hundreds of thousands or whatever. So it's sixty thousand per year salaried starting for managers. Okay, <laughs> and then it continues to increase from there for them. Cool. Um, but for like a, for like hourly. It's, it starts at 15, but there's like a minimum of $2 difference. So for a C jeweler, a minimum of 17, a B jeweler, a minimum of 19, A jeweler, a minimum of 21, and a double A jeweler, a minimum of like of 23. What trajectory do you see yourself on? Like, what do you ultimately want? As far as like a career from this? Yeah. Um, I, I'm definitely looking to make this a career but I don't really have like a set goal into um, a set goal or trajectory. I just want to see what I can learn and take in from the people around me and the other opportunities that I have from the company uh, flying me to um, flying me to other, to other States for like training for other training Mm. opportunities to learn and then coming back to my shop and bringing back what I learn. Okay. So for you, this is more of a, you're not, you're not on a specific path. You just know that you like what you do and you just want to keep learning. And as you continue growing with your knowledge, you'll just figure it out as you go. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, like if say that whenever I was like a small child, I wanted to be like a veterinarian or a marine biologist or like a dragon doctor. Ah, nice. <laughs> I wanted to perform like surgeries on unicorns and get them going. Cause like, you know, you're a kid, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, um, as I've gotten older, like I realized that a lot of like where my main skill sets is I really enjoy being outdoors. So my college education is actually in environmental sciences. 
but I okay. do have a, a strong background from my time at college in glass blowing and ceramics. Awesome. Oh, okay. So it's all kind of like, well, like gemstones are from nature and yeah. then the glass blowing, that'd be more artistic. It all kind of culminates and makes sense that you're where you are. Yeah. yeah. And like I, the reason I got into my job um, more or less in the first place is a, a friend of mine. Um, I've known that there's a particular friend that I have that I've known from before she started working in the repair shop. And then a few years ago, um, I was looking to make, I was considering making, I was in, in a serious, I was seriously considering making a move and, uh, and moving and relocating, but I didn't know like what, the, there weren't a whole lot of job opportunities in the, my college field at that time in this area. So yeah, I awesome. spoke with her and she said like, yeah, you don't need any experience to come into here. She's like, I, she's like, I'll, um, she's like, I, she's like, I know you, I know what your, um, what your work ethic is. And, um, I'll put in a really good word, for, I'll put in a good word for you. Just like here, go to this, go to this, go to the site, um, apply, choose, make sure that you type this in, in order to find our particular shop and then, um, and then use me as a reference. So I put in my, uh, I put in my application and put in my resume and, uh, had an interview and I got the job. Cool. So, okay. And I, I had absolutely no experience in jewelry whatsoever. Just an interest in it. It was, I don't like, I thought it was interesting, but I also, um, at that time I wasn't necessarily looking to make it a profession. But I knew that regardless, I definitely wanted to um, do the best that I could at this job because that is like as coming into a job, you do want to make I did want to make sure that I was doing the job properly to make everybody yeah. else's life easier in the shop. Yeah, it's very gonna, considerate. If you're going to do something, do it completely. Yes, absolutely. Like if you're if you're going to go in and go whole hog. Yeah. What personalities would you say are a better match for your job than others and, and just like um, interests and skill sets and stuff so something that's really interesting about our shop is that we have there aren't a lot of shops that have a lot of a lot of women in them and our shop has hmm. a majority of the people in our shop are women which is so different from any other shop in in the in the company that i know of cool. so well, um you would think jewelry would probably appeal more to women than try and keep in mind that like throughout history there's a lot of jobs that specifically had men doing them and then the women were finally able to like get in and start showing that they had the skills for that too so you so things like jewelry were done typically by men tailors were typically done by a lot of men uh oh, with yeah. the exception of like maybe women's clothing but even then i'm not really too sure on the history of that um concierge a lot of things like historically women had their place in the kitchen like long ago in history and then now we're finally able to get out of doing those roles <laughs> and able to really make ourselves known it's like hey i can do this too you're not the only one yeah i True. also know how to use a microscope <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay so you're off your shop's got a lot of women which is unusual so men or women really should feel comfortable going in like it's not predominantly well yes yeah, like as like as far as personalities go um like there could be a, like a wide variety of personalities as long as you're willing to um not talk down to somebody and explain to something like <laughs> you're really stupid 
like you know like it's like I always like to ask like okay what do you know about this because like and I tell them like if there's if I'm using words that you're not familiar with let me know I'll try and use better examples so that way so that way yeah. you're more comfortable until like um, you already know it I don't yeah. need to explain this to you yeah like dumb it down like you're already like you're already on board yeah so, but like, even then, like if you're coming in and you're, someone's using frames in the shop, using phrases in the shop that you're not familiar with, like, okay, so what it, they're like, okay, so what is, what's princess cut? What's the, what's the side, what's the shape of a princess cut? Cause I didn't know what princess cut was going in. I just knew like, oh, square diamond. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but like, there are a lot of other um, terms that are used, like for a lot of stuff, uh, one of the stones that it took me a while to get used to uh, calling correctly is. Um, one that's commonly called peridot. It's really pronounced peridot. Oh, very French. I thought that so, was just a stone. So uh, for a while, like I was constantly being corrected in the shop, like, oh no, it's peridot. Oh, you mean peridot? So that's like, yeah, peridot. No, peridot. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard that expression before. Like it's, I've never heard it. The August birthstone. That's the only place I've heard it. Yeah, it's August birthstone. Um, but whenever it comes to personalities in the shop, you can have like a wide variety, a wide range of personalities. The key is to like, is at the end of the day is that we are all one team and we all work together towards the same goal, whether, no matter like where you're stationed, each job has a really important role that they play. And as long as it's being done correctly and as best as possible, like you're good to go as long as you're willing to learn. Um, but if you're coming in to the shop and you're not really pulling your weight and somebody else is having to cover for you that grows a lot of um that grows a lot of like resentment and does cause a lot of problems because your time is important if you're having to focus on doing someone else's job for them while they're uh taking a lot of breaks or messing around on their phone mm. or um or just like trying to pull pranks on somebody in the shop then that really disrupts everybody else's time in the shop because we're trying to get stuff done and if stuff isn't properly coming in then we can't do the rest of us can't do our jobs because it kind of comes to a standstill okay Makes sense. so you've got to just come with a professional attitude yes come with a professional You're attitude like we are pretty like relaxed we are very relaxed in the shop but like whenever it comes down to it like we do get back we do need to get back to our jobs and focus on stuff yeah it's relaxed but like breaks. you're here to work yeah. Okay. Well, um, it looks like we are coming close to our end of time. Um, if you have any closing remarks, we would, you know, welcome you to say them here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one of the weirdest pieces of jewelry I've ever seen come into the shop was this very dirty pendant. It was this crescent moon that was performing cunnilingus on a nude lady. What? Oh, wow. Yes, we see some crazy <laughs> jewelry in the shop. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, okay. We we once um one of the one of the, another time uh, one of the jewelers was working on repairing a ring and it flung out from uh, from for out of their hands from their um from their hand tool from their rotary hand tool that they're using to polish the inside of the ring and it went flying and we couldn't find it. And, Somebody oh looked up and it was stuck in the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that sounds like an exciting day at work. <laughs> oh yeah, I once had a, a ring that an, an earring I was cleaning at the sink, and somehow it it made this cartoon sound was zip, and <laughs> it disappeared, and I couldn't find it. I was like, oh gosh, this diamond stud earring, I'm never gonna find it. It turns out it did somehow it did this U-turn around like this pillar in the center of the building in the center of the of the shop and it landed inside of like one of the diamond trays that we have that holds all of our tiny stones thank god <laughs> yeah what? whoa so crazy it was it was like some sort of magic like how did it get here there was nothing for it to bounce <laughs> off of <laughs> oh my gosh well thank you so much for these you know entertaining <laughs> and informative stories we've really appreciated it you're yeah, welcome you. it's happy fun. to join all right bye tori bye Wow. <laughs> so, so, so some some recaps here. Um I learned that I was correct in my assumption that I know nothing about <laughs> fine jewelry. Yeah, I was definitely surprised by all of the custom projects that she told us about. Yeah, I mean th- that's a really solid takeaway is when it comes to jewelry, basically if you can dream it, you can wear it. Oh, There's which... not a lot of there's no ceiling there which is great because you know jewelry is a decoration so yeah and it's something that you know you can use to reflect you know your own personal style and that there are people out there who are learning how to make it for you so come up with what you want they can figure it out yeah and I definitely took away not to you know hang my pearls on anything make sure they're laying flat when I'm not wearing them so yeah. they don't get stretched and how to take care of you know your fine jewelry because I mean I've never bought anything but I have inherited a couple of pieces and you know like to keep them in nice shape and yeah for sure so that they last maybe for future generations right and if you are somebody who decides to have an engagement ring like there are certain things that you can do that can keep them strong and healthy and not cracked <laughs> Yes. All right. So um, if you have any questions or any comments, maybe you are also a jeweler or jeweler's apprentice, please email us at honey with three Y's, H-O-N-E-Y-Y-Y, I'm home podcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. And if you are somebody who would like to come on our show and let us know about what it is that you do, send us send us a shout out as well. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, and if you have really weird jewelry, we want to know about that too. Yeah. Send pictures. (laughs) Send pictures, please. All right. Let's bring in the trees. Let's bring in the trees.